Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 1, When She Was Bad. So, so bad. Uh, But so, so good. I actually... I got... Kara, I got very emotional watching this episode. Not because it was a good mm-hmm. episode. I think, well, I think there's good things and bad things. I agree. But I got emotional because we're in season two. And already the first episode of season two is so much better than season one. Like I can just tell from the tone, from even the way they shoot it, from the character development. The emotional stakes. The hairstyles. The hairstyle. <laughs> Everybody got a haircut. Everyone looks great after like, summer. I wrote in my notes, you know, oh, Buffy has a new haircut. Oh, Willow has a new haircut. Oh, Jenny has a new haircut. Eventually, I just stopped. I'm just like, okay, it's fine. Everybody has a haircut. Yeah, of course. It's like, the, I mean, these actors got about four or five months off. So, of course, they're going to get a haircut. And, and you know, some of them even look more in shape. Like Xander bulked up a bit. Uh, they look more tanned. <laughs> even Angel looks more tanned, strangely enough. <laughs> So why would that be strange? Oh, because he's a vampire. Because he's a vampire. Let's not forget. This season is not going to let us forget it. But no, I actually legit got emotional, and I was texting you about it because you know me, like I can't hold in one feeling. I have to share it with with you and the world. And uh, it's it was just a nice feeling to know what's coming. The fact that season two is one of my favorite seasons. I'm just really excited. I'm just really excited. Um, previously on Buffy. It basically is just a sum up of the master Mm storyline, the biggest bad guy storyline of season one. Yeah. So for anybody who's just joining us now who decided, you know what, I'm going to skip season one because I've heard it's not great. You're not wrong. Um, (laughs) Just pay attention to that, that little recap at the beginning of this episode. But basically, Buffy is the vampire slayer. Uh, She fought vampires. She fought some monsters last year at Sunnydale High. She made some friends. She made some enemies. Uh, And then she fought the master, the master killed her, but she got better, and then she killed the master, and then it was the end of the school year. So we're we're opening up in season two, uh, and where are we at, Steph? We are following Willow and Xander as they eat ice cream, play a little game together, and are walking by a cemetery, one of the many cemeteries of Sunnydale. And... I don't know. I I just feel like from their experience, at least six months of battling the undead with Buffy, they would think to pick a better route than one of the cemetery routes. I don't know. Maybe the ice cream parlor is smack dab in the middle of one of the cemeteries. I wouldn't put it past this town. But um, well, I I mean, later in this scene, we find out that there hasn't been much mystical vampire activity. So maybe they've just become like less cautious. It's true. Yeah, they're they're on a lull. And Buffy has been away all summer and has barely written. That's what Willow says. One thing is that I think it's very cute that the monsters don't bother if Buffy's not around cuz where's the fun in that? Like obviously they took the summer off as well. 
<laughs> Secondly, it's funny because like, you know, high school vacations and high school summer vacation is two months. And that doesn't seem like a long time to me anymore. No. But at the time, it was a long time. Like, especially when I was in elementary school, I just remember being like, oh, my God, like eight weeks, like eight weeks. <laughs> time works different then. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you there. So anyway, that, I, that took me back to when they're talking about, oh, my God, the summer. Willow says that Xander is just anxious for Buffy to come back. And Xander says he's over her. He so is not over her. And him and Willow... Do this cute little thing where... Uh, is Steph, it cute? I'm very surprised that you're just glossing over Xander's casual perviness. Not five minutes into the episode and Xander's already going on about how he has needs and, you know, he's like, I'm over Buffy. But... And I'm just like, for a moment... A man has desires. Yeah, for a moment, I was like, yes, Xander, you've matured. And then he just once again, ruins it for us all. Well, here's the thing. It's like, I actually, I wasn't skipping over it. I was going to get more to it at the end at the end of this scene because, yeah, he says he has desires and needs and we're like, okay, we know. We know that from season one. Looks like they're carrying over some of Xander's character right away. <laughs> but I think my thing was that, okay, so right after this, he boops uh, Willow on the nose with his ice cream cone and some of that ice cream gets on her nose and then he leans in it's almost like a joke at first but then they're very clearly about to kiss and willow is stars in her eyes like this is this is it yeah. right and then yeah. obviously a vampire cock blocks them and is like right like <laughs> right in there when they back away it's like the, the vampire was waiting for this right he's like i'm just gonna wait i'm just gonna wait for the most awkward moment to pop up yeah. this is my time yeah this is my moment <laughs> Yeah, you're right. He totally was waiting and watching. He's like, okay, now, 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 now. And then he gets in there and he blocks it. Okay, but here's where I wanted to talk about Xander. And I was going to ask you, is it too early for the Xander slander to begin? But no, I don't think it it's is. It's never too early, Steph. <laughs> I don't think it is because, okay, Xander, you're being absolutely cruel right now. I think you're just being manipulative and gross. And it's because... You and I have talked in the past about whether or not Xander is aware of Willow's feelings. And you say no, and I, I'm like more skeptical about it. But now I am convinced more than ever that Xander is aware that Willow is into him. Because A, it'd be really hard not to be aware of that. But B, I had to go back and watch a couple of scenes of Xander. But in the pack when he was under the hyena spirit influence, he does say to Buffy when he's about to attempt to rape her, he says, Willow needs to stop kidding herself that I would ever want anyone but you. Right. So what I meant when I said that he's not aware of it mm -hmm. is I think that he's pushed that to the side because of his obsession with Buffy, right? right. So like he knows that Willow's attracted to mm -hmm. him, but his obsession with Buffy is the only thing he can consider or think about, right? So it's almost like he's kidded, kidding himself. You know, he's just like deluding himself. Yeah. So I agree with you that... There's an element of like harshness or hypocrisy to what's going on here. Like we're season two, episode one, Xander, scene one, you're unbearable at the moment because A, we already know that Willow is basically in love with you and obsessed with you. And in the very last episode, Prophecy Girl, she told you off for, tr for he was in a free fall mm -hmm. from his emotions over Buffy's rejection and he goes straight to Willow. Yeah, so well, so this is the thing. And I mean, we're going to see this throughout the episode because that's kind of the theme of the episode. 
like nobody's talked <laughs> you know no uh clearly it's gonna be clear through this episode nobody had a conversation after the dance about the whole vampire slaying stuff nobody told cordelia to shut up um and xander and willow clearly despite hanging out together all summer haven't actually had a conversation now to be honest i think that's probably the most believable part of this scene because they're teenagers and we need to remember as adults that what you or i would think of as an appropriate behavior wouldn't necessarily occur to these teenagers right mm. teenagers right so like you and i if we had an issue to sort out we're mature enough we'd talk to each other about it but willow and xander there's this weird thing you know, this attraction that was never dealt with, the whole Buffy thing, Buffy's gone for the summer. So because they're less mature, because they're teenagers, their solution wasn't, let's sit down and talk through this like rational adults. Their solution was, let's not talk of this and let's just have fun and hope that nothing happens that upsets the balance of our friendship. <laughs> yeah, right? until so... Xander tries to kiss her. <laughs> exactly. And that's... And like you, you said it best, I think, when you're just like the very first scene. So thankfully, Steph, what happens after this vampire shows up to rescue this scene and turn it from annoying to awesome? Well, a hand grabs the vampire from behind, throws him into a tree where the vampire bursts into dust and Buffy Summers has returned to Sunnydale with short right? hair. Right, <laughs> she says... Miss, Miss me? <laughs> me? So good. It's such... Oh, like, everything else about that scene is yeah. cringy. But that moment, right? That's just, like, this moment of awesome. And I appreciate that the show didn't wait until, like, the last scene of the episode to give mm -hmm. that to us, right? They're like, okay, before the credits, we're going to give you a little taste of what's right. to come. The, just a quick note about the season two credits. They've have some scenes from the first season and then they've incorporated a couple scenes from the new season so Moloch the corrupter is still there praise <laughs> Moloch David Boreanis has now joined the cast as a regular the trio all hug and they're excited to see each other and they're catching up and Buffy scolds them for not having any weapons on them and that's when they say that was the first vamp that they've seen uh, since she killed the master she Here's the master and kind of bristles. It's like they knew that she was coming back. And then they asked how her summer was. And she didn't. She said she didn't slay all summer. She partied some, shopped. And when she said she partied some, I was like, partied where? <laughs> With who? But that could have been a lie. With uh, Hilary Swank and the rest of her friends <laughs> from L.A. Luke yeah, Perry. Luke. She met up with Pike. Uh, she had a nice old reunion. And... <laughs> and... Um, she asks them if they had fun without her. Xander says no. And Willow says yes. So once again, just showing how like Xander, it sounds like you and Willow spent the entire summer together. So to say you didn't have fun is so fucking rude. And I said it before. I'll say it again. Willow deserves better than this, than this treatment. Yeah, absolutely. So the most fun that they had, they say, was when they buried the master's bones in the cemetery, which is conveniently just right there by a giant tree and they poured holy water 
in the soil and all over the gravesite, and they wore robes, and it was really exciting for them. Willow <laughs> asks if Buffy has seen Giles yet, and Buffy seems really weirded out by this question, and she just says, like, why would I? I'll just see him at school. And mm. I think just that her saying that and her reaction to that is enough for the audience to clue in right away that something is off with her and her behavior is very peculiar because not two months earlier, she was literally willing to die in the place of her watcher who was also going to die for her. So mm. she was just very like blasé about that. And the next scene, Hank and Buffy's mom <laughs> are unpacking Buffy's stuff in her room. I know. I was so surprised to see Hank. I totally had forgotten that we see him again. Yeah. Because when we saw him for the first time in Nightmares, I remember saying in the recap, I don't think we see no, Hank No, we again. see him. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, it's cool, I guess, that he's hanging around after driving Buffy back and unpacking her For suitcase. her? I know. I was like, my parents would never unpack my stuff for, for me. Although I don't think I'd let them. Your parents would never let you buy that many That's shoes. That's true. That's true. But once again, we see a little bit of this very amicable relationship that these divorced parents mm -hmm. have. You know, obviously they separated a couple years ago uh but they're working really well together and they're trying to co-parent and mm -hmm. hank is telling buffy's mom that he overcompensated for buffy and bought her a lot of new clothes because he wasn't really connecting with her over the summer she was very distant he says like when she was burning stuff down he knew more of what to say <laughs> when she was being a delinquent and buffy's mom sympathizes and she says yeah i haven't gotten through to her in so long and she'd just be really happy if she made it through the school year so again, I just think it's nice that if they had issues, if they had their own shit to deal with, they're over it and they're concentrated on their daughter and realizing that their daughter is unhappy in some way and they're talking about it just very calmly and rationally together. So it's a very small scene, but I think a really cool one. Yeah. So the next day we're at school and we see our two favorite characters right away. The first one is Cordelia. <laughs> uh, her parents <laughs> apparently were going to bring her to St. Croix. <laughs> Croix. But instead they went to Tuscany, which is, you know, her nightmare because it's beachless. So no one has suffered the way Cordelia has suffered. And she says this kind of adversity builds character. But then I already have a lot of character. So is it possible to have too much character? I loved those lines so good i relate to that a lot actually i wrote them down <laughs> already again we're like 10 minutes into the episode not even and cordelia coming in here with the best lines of the episode although i will say uh snyder almost beats her out for best line of the episode not in this scene later, but later on. on and that's who our other favorite character is it's snyder so while cordelia's walking Yay. across the campus snyder and giles are having their own walk around the campus and snyder is basically complaining that students are on campus again now that summer is over snyder hates students so much so giles asks why did you become a teacher or a principal and he says someone needs to keep an eye on them. <laughs> and he starts monologuing uh, to himself, thinking Giles is listening, about how boys turn into idiots when girls walk by. And that's when we see Giles noticing Jenny Callender walking up to him. And he also can't really form a sentence. And it's because <laughs> they both have crushes on each other. <laughs> it's very cute. And they decide to walk to the faculty room together. And they leave Snyder talking to himself on campus <laughs> so 
On the way to the faculty lounge, Jenny saying that that summer she went to Burning Man and loved it. <laughs> We're getting a lot more insight into Jenny's character here. She's a free spirit. She really enjoys the chaos and the community that you get in, in that kind of like festival mm. atmosphere. Yep, that's how I feel about TikTok. <laughs> we love you, TikTokers. <laughs> so, she yeah, she was like, I was there were drum rituals and naked mud dances. And she's like, Giles, you would have hated it. I bet you spent the summer with your nose in a book. And Giles is like, well, I'm sure that seems dull to you. And she says, depends on the book. And these two are going to have sex. They're going to do it this season. No, mom, my, you can't talk about my mom and dad <laughs> that way. They are giving each other eyes. They're flirting. They're so into each other. Uh, that's when Xander, Willow, and Buffy meet up with them to, to say hi. Buffy looks really off and awkward during this exchange, and she's hanging back. Willow says that Buffy killed a vampire last night very loudly, and Jenny points out that she thought the Hellmouth was closed, so why are there still vampires around? And Giles, you know, gives the exposition and says, mystical energy still emanates from the Hellmouth and is concentrated in that area. And then Xander adds that that makes it the undead's party town. <laughs> Giles says he's going to look into why the vampires are reemerging, but as the bell rings, he does say to Buffy, when you're ready, let's start training again. And Buffy says she's ready. And Giles is like, well, you know, if you want to take a couple days, like you just got back, like he's being really lenient and nice. And she's like, I said, I'm ready. And in the library after school, she shows how ready she is by doing a series of athletic things like kickboxing and flip de doos and cartwheels. It was a full-on montage set to some, like, rock music stuff. It was great. Like you said, like, this episode is, you know, not a great episode in some ways, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but it is, it's given us these nice moments yeah. that are making me excited to be watching season two. That's what I'm saying! You know, and th thinking about this from the point of view of a first-time viewer, it's like... So you've just gone through the first season and then you've had, you know, the summer, just like these characters. And now it's September of 1997 and Buffy's back on the TV. And, you know, they're doing a good job here of giving us some things to hook you into the episode. And I love montages. And this is a good one. Yeah. And it's very similar to the montage she had in the movie that uh, Christy Swanson gave. Yeah, right? that's a good point. So anyway, she's training so hard that she ends up breaking one of the training dummies and Giles is noticing that something is up with her because she's really intense about this training and she's like whatever they're sending next I'm gonna be ready for it so you know trauma <laughs> like something's happening with Buffy <laughs> yeah so I would be curious if any of our listeners have a background in like mental health or, or trauma or training or whatever please write into us and like tell us like is Buffy suffering from PTSD because that's my theory based on what happens in this episode but obviously i don't know enough to diagnose her that way so i would be very curious to hear from more informed listeners if that's what we think the writers are getting at with buffy's acting characterization mm -hmm. that's here. exactly what i think is happening too but yeah i would love to hear an expert yeah. or somebody who actually learned in the subject would have to say about it so in what looks like an abandoned factory uh, a vampire is performing a sermon and saying in three days a new hope will arise and they'll put their faith in him who will show us the way. And 
Who is it? It's Colin! Colin the Anointed One! Welcome back, Colin! Because poor Colin <laughs> lost his job, right? His boss got killed yeah. last season. So I'm really glad he's landed on his feet. And boy looks good, you know? He's got a new stylist, and so he's got a black turtleneck, an all-black theme going on. Uh, he looks like a young Steve Jobs. Yeah, and I definitely have modeled a lot of my current look after Colin the Anointed One. I love black <laughs> turtlenecks and long dark hair. Well, and, and like Steve Jobs, Colin is in charge of a cult. So. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a, the leader of this new vampy cult. And I mean, from just from seeing Colin, oh, I mean, we saw him in the last episode, but really it's been a summer since we've seen him. And I can't help but ask, like, was his only job <laughs> to the master and in season one his, his only job was just to show Buffy where the master's lair is yes <laughs> that was his destiny that was his role in the prophecy <laughs> but see here's the thing is the master made the classic villain mistake confirmation bias he read into the prophecy the version that would give him victory right so the master thought he was going to be victorious and he wasn't going to need Colin after that because he was going right. to be in charge but what the master didn't realize was that, yes, Buffy's going to die in because of the prophecy, but then she's going to come back and kick your ass and you're also going to die, right? Like, everything that happened in Prophecy Girl was consistent with the prophecy. It's just that neither Giles nor the master fully, you know, interpreted the prophecy properly. They read into it what they wanted to read into yeah. it. So I, I think Colin right now is part of the prophecy oh, still, right? Yeah. Like. This is why he's the anointed one. And the master never knew that because he didn't want to think of his failure. Um, so he just thought Colin was there to lead Buffy to her doom. But actually, this is Colin's real role. So Col you're saying that Colin was always meant to start this vampy cult in the summer of 1997. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, let's see how that plays out for him. So Buffy is sitting in what looks like a really nice waiting room, but it's actually like a little student lounge hangout thing at this high yeah, school. Yeah, so they've got a little bit more money this yeah. season for a few more yeah. sets. Yeah, so they have a cool little lounge. It's no longer that room with the TV. It's like this outdoor lounge. No, it's like it's it's off the hallway, yeah. you know, it's nice and bright. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, they got some couches there. It's yeah, nice. and she looks really deep in thought when Xander and Willow show, show up and join her. And they're making jokes and they have a cute little snack exchange between them uh, because they're besties. Buffy says that she's having weird dreams. Never a good sign when it comes to Buffy. And Giles shows up looking worried. And he says uh, he knows what the vampire activity is. And she says, whatever it is, we'll deal with it. It's not to worry. And Giles then says, I don't know. I mean... I've killed you once. Shouldn't be too difficult to do it again. She says, what? And that's when Giles violently backhands her to the point where she falls right back onto the table. Giles jumps on top of her and starts choking her. And while this act of violence is happening, Xander and Willow are acting like nothing weird is happening at all. They're just going about their snack eating. And Buffy's struggling with Giles's face, rips off a mask, and it's the master. And then... <gasps> Boom. Buffy wakes up. She was in bed. It was all a dream. What a nightmare. I had a suspicion that it was a dream. I didn't remember this the scene from my previous watchings, but I suspected it was a dream before Giles slapped her. That was surprising. I didn't expect him to be that, you know, violent and out of the mm -hmm. blue. But I suspected it was because you notice Sander and Willow 
Uh, Willow pulls out an apple and Xander pulls out a candy bar and they exchange. And that's when I first kind of got an inkling that this could be a dream because we already know from the Nightmares episode that Xander loves candy bars. And I just feel like Willow Mm. would never give up her apple. So like that was weird to me. Okay. (laughs) That's where I was like, hey, something's not right. Um, (laughs) Layers, layers to the show. But Buffy's window is open and she sits up and she looks over and she says hello because Angel is sitting at her windowsill. Like he's got nothing better to do than watch a 16-year-old sleep. Yeah. uh, Well, that's the thing is like he was doing that long before Edward Cullen from Twilight was doing it. So anyone who is a Twilight fan, like you should arguably be a Buffy fan because Angel was doing that years before. And he says the anointed one has been gathering forces in town, but he's not sure why. So this is classic angel information, right? Like, <laughs> Right? Like this is all he yeah. does. He shows up and he tells Buffy these ominous warnings that aren't really that yeah. helpful. Yeah. And then he leaves like he's totally being a fuckboy. He keeps boy showing still. up and being like, be careful because something's coming. And then he'll leave. And it's like, you're not helping. Like, just like when you show up with Giles. Hey, Giles, I could get a book for you. Just go get the book, right? Like, you're wasting our time. But you're not because he's so handsome. So uh, Buffy doesn't sound very concerned by this she says she says she can handle herself and angel like warns her not to underestimate the anointed one just because he's a kid just because his name is colin doesn't mean that the other vampires won't do anything for him well and also he's got like a super slick turtleneck <laughs> now so that's that's he, up his game. just like you buffy he also went shopping over the summer and has a whole new tood so Buffy's like, is that it? Because you woke me up from a really good dream, which is another lie. And she rolls over and she basically like turns her back on him and goes to sleep. And she is being really cold. And Angel gets the hint and he looks hurt and he's about to leave. And then he says, I missed you. And then when Buffy finally decides to reciprocate that feeling and say, I miss you too, he's already gone. But he's a vampire, remember? So he might have heard her. He might have heard her whisper it. I don't know. Did you miss him, Steph? I did. I mean, it's only been a week for us, but like, felt like an eternity. <laughs> Can you imagine going a whole two months <laughs> without seeing him? Uh, tears in her eyes. Buffy goes to sleep. Mom and Buffy are driving to school, and Buffy's looking super forlorn. And Buffy's mom is just saying, "Hey, like, just wondering if I were to ask you what was wrong, would you would you tell me?" Buffy just looks at her, (laughs) like, stone-faced, and she's like, of course not, that would take the fun out of guessing. And I just really like that Buffy's mom's expressing her concern. Uh, Maybe I'll just ask, right? Like, hey, do you want to talk about what's bothering you? And of course she doesn't, but points to Buffy's mom for bringing it up. Willow is really excited to hear about Angel being in Buffy's room the night before because she is a Bangel stan, as we all know. And Xander is worried that they groped each other because Xander's a pervert. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) And Buffy says it was all shop talk. And Xander mentions that Sibo Mata, Sibo Mata, I don't know. This is apparently a big deal. I'm sorry. I think you and I are a little bit too young. It it is like an Asian band or an Asian singer. Well, then why Uh, don't you know, Steph? (laughs) Great, great question. I'm a phony. (laughs) 
I just don't know. I don't know. But the point is, apparently this the singer or band, don't know what, is going to be at the bronze, the, the children's club that night. And they have to go. And that's when Cordelia comes out of a classroom nearby and says, oh, isn't it the three musketeers? What's interesting about this is I think Cordy, like the, their first immediate reaction is that Cordy's trying to insult them, but she's not. She's actually just trying to break the ice. And she's just comparing them to a, another threesome that she knows mm-hmm. of. And they're like, well, why would call us the Stooges? But like, that's more degrading than the Three Musketeers. So like, Cordy's not trying to insult them. She's actually just trying to talk to them. And she says that, hey, like, did you guys fight demons all summer? <laughs> He's so loud about it. I know. I know. And like, Willow says, yes, our own personal demon, <laughs> which is such a good cover up. And um Cordy just reminds them of prom night that she was there with all the demons and you know she's clearly in on the fact that they fight monsters all the time and Willow and Xander are asking her like oh you didn't tell anybody did you have been talking about this all summer and Cordelia says no like she would have to admit that she hung out with them for a night for that to happen so also, she she does say that it was really creepy and scary and all the screaming and the master, it was just too much. So she turns to Buffy and she says, Buffy, your secret is safe with me. And Buffy gets really, really snippy and just says, okay, so you won't tell anyone I'm the Slayer and I won't tell anyone you're a moron. And then walks away. And all three of Ooh, them... Ooh, ableist language. I know, yeah, and that's no stranger to the show for sure. But it's just we like all three of them realize now that something is up with Buffy. Like her mom noticed, obviously. They had an inkling of it before. Angel knows it. Now the three of them are cluing in, even Cordelia. And I do want to say that I think having Cordelia come and talk to them in a very unantagonistic way, like she's actually just trying to make a conversation and say, hey, like, did you guys have mm-hmm. a good summer? And I, your secret is safe with me super friendly and i think this is a very subtle way that the writers are showing that they're actively writing more scenes with cordelia and our three well it's just such a departure from the cordelia we saw at the beginning of last season where she's actively bullying willow yeah and it seems like a very subtle way to get her in the mix just by her being a little bit friendlier (laughs) and but but also being her wonderful cordelia self so that night, Chibo Mata. I forgot. I don't even know how to yeah, pronounce it. Yeah, it's Chibo Mato. It means crazy food in Italian. Great. I just Googled it while you were going through that previous scene because Great. I have research um, dedication to this show, Steph, <laughs> and apparently you didn't. How dare you? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you did get me there. I did not look up how to pronounce the name nor what it was. All I saw was the Asian woman singing, and I was like, wow. <laughs> That's all I need to know about this. Um, but she's singing at the bronze and Willow and Xander are watching and Willow is saying something is up with Buffy. She's different. And Xander says she's always been different. And Willow says, yeah, but she's never been mean. So Xander is really anxious whether or not Buffy is coming or not. He's ignoring Willow. And Willow sadly puts foam from her cup or whatever she's drinking on her nose, trying to recreate that almost kiss moment. And Xander sees it and he's like, oh, you got something on your nose. And Willow rubs it off. And I swear to God, Kara, I swear, 
I got pangs of deep, deep pain when I watched that. Like, it cut me. I am devastated. I know. That is so sad. The most cringy thing. So, (sighs) so pathetic and sad. And Willow, you just deserve so much more than that. And it made me so sad to see. So... In the cemetery, the vampires and Colin are digging up the master's bones, even though the holy water is burning their hands. <laughs> Colin doesn't care. He's like, dig up those bones. <laughs> He's got plenty of hands. And it makes me laugh because I'm like, Giles, why did you even bury them? Like, what's the point? Like, why don't you just chuck them in the garbage? <laughs> right? I had that same note, like, later on. I'm just like, <laughs> why? Like, when they destroy- they finally destroyed the skeleton, I'm like, why didn't you do this originally? Why did you bury them? That makes no sense. Also, you'll notice that Colin's cult is not living in, like, caves anymore with a fuck ton of candles. <laughs> Colin's like, we're going to find a nice abandoned building and take it over, and yeah. we're going to live above ground. Yeah, I mean, that. I mean, it does open up the possibility of sunlight hitting them at some point, but you know what? Colin's literally like, we're not the master's cult. This is Colin's cult, and we are going to step it up. We're getting a factory, boys. <laughs> Back at the bronze, Ch- Chibo Mato <laughs> uh, starts playing a sexy song about sugar water as Buffy comes in looking hot as hell. She's got this cute little tiny dress on, hair's looking fly. She is on the prowl. And Angel had come to the bronze to find her, obviously, because I think he wants to patch things up with her. And he says, I think you're angry with me and that bothers me more than I'd like. And I don't know, personally, I'm like, Angel, maybe you shouldn't have snuck into her room in the middle of the night and (laughs) alarmed her when she woke up. Maybe that's why she's icy. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, Angel's like 200 years old, right? So maybe he's just like forgotten boundaries, right? (laughs) I don't get the sense that he hangs around with a lot of other people. So maybe he just doesn't remember how to people. I love that. Yeah, more excuses for why Angel did that, for sure. He just doesn't know boundaries like for, for, for humans yet. He will. He'll get there. So he says, like, oh, are you afraid of me? Are you afraid of us? And Buffy says, get over yourself. There is no us. She didn't spend the whole summer mooning over him. She moved on to the living. Buffy, you bitch. <laughs> that hurt Angel's feelings. <laughs> Wow, now I know who you choose. <laughs> I just saying that was a low blow. Like Angel came there to be like, hey, like, did I do something? And she's like, fuck you. And Cordelia overheard this and she's looking like really concerned. She's like, what the hell is this? I'm the only person who's supposed to be a bitch around here. And Buffy approaches Willow and Xander and she asks, <laughs> ooh, the scene. She asks Xander to dance. Xander looks surprised, Willow looks concerned, and she pulls him onto the dance floor during this the sexy slow music number, and they start dancing together. And at this point, I'm just like, what is happening? I am disturbed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm disturbed. Um, it's super close. They're super sensual. Buffy is. Xander kind of looks like he can't believe it. Like, at this point, I'm like, is, is Buffy possessed by some kind of demon? Because Buffy would not do this. Some kind of steamy sex demon. <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller pulls off. I must say, she, you know, usually we see her as, like, wide-eyed, 
uh, funny, quippy Buffy, but she could pull off sex kitten bitch like really easily. And she, so she's, yeah, she's doing this like sexy gyrate dance with Xander and Angel, Cordy and Willow are watching and everyone's looking either hurt or confused. I'm feeling sick. You're <laughs> disgusted. Uh, even Xander looks like, oh my god, what's happening? Even though he's trying to, like, focus in. Although I do also think he probably has a raging boner. <laughs> Staff. <laughs> and he doesn't want, he's like, oh god, because she's, she's, like, you know, grinding up on him. Then Buffy asks Xander if she ever thanked him for saving her life. He says no, and she says, don't you wish I would? And then leaves him on the dance floor, grabs her coat, walks past everyone doesn't say goodbye just leaves so okay so i have a lot of things to say about the scene okay i have a lot of things to say okay my biggest issue with this situation and what buffy's doing is the betrayal of willow Hmm. this behavior from buffy is truly unacceptable when I think about what it's doing to Willow and Buffy as Willow's best friend who knows that Willow has feelings for Xander and has been very adamant about those feelings for Xander, Buffy doesn't care. And she is doing all of this in front of Willow. And it's so cruel. It is. It, it's done to blatantly hurt her for no reason. And it's truly unacceptable. I agree. And it's honestly, it's also unacceptable and cruel towards Xander because Buffy knows how Xander feels about her because of, you know, he confessed that in Prophecy Girl and she let him down quite nicely in Prophecy Girl. And now she's like manipulating him and using him and, and stirring up this unrequited emotion that he feels. And that's not cool either. And it's also unfair to Angel. <laughs> yes, Steph, it is. I think it's unfair to both, like Xander and Angel. Obviously, she's using Xander to make Angel jealous. Mm-hmm. Angel didn't deserve that. Xander certainly doesn't deserve it. Although I do also want to think about Xander and his nice guy issues from the last season that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Because when she says, you saved my life, therefore, should I have sex with you? Like, don't you wish I would thank you? in this sexual way, that is kind of what Xander wanted. So I think just calling that out and addressing that in this low-key way is interesting, but I am more on your side where I think it is very cruel to Xander for leading him on and confusing him this way. I I mean, I I definitely have more thoughts on how Buffy has been acting, but I want to wait until the end of the episode to kind of get into the pattern overall. But I agree with what you're saying. What bothers me the most about the scene overall is that it's the biggest part of the scene is obviously that Buffy is in between both of these men and she knows it and she's using Mm. that to work against both of them. But what the scene really should be about is Willow and the fact that she is mistreating Willow. She's not considering Willow's feelings at all. And it's completely overlooked because they make it about these two guys. Hmm. Like, I don't think a lot of people would leave that scene being like, Willow is the biggest person who was mistreated here, but I personally think she was. So I don't know. It just really upset me. (laughs) So Buffy leaves the bronze and Cordelia is the one that stops her and calls her out on her shit. And she says, you know, we've never really been close, which is nice because I don't like you that much. But you have on occasion saved the world and stuff. So I'm going to give you some advice. 
get over it. Whatever is causing the Joan Collins toot, deal with it. Embrace the pain, spank your inner moppet, whatever, but get over it because pretty soon you're not going to even have the loser friends that you've got now. Mm-hmm. Fucking love that. I like that Cordelia is speaking truth to power, right? Like Bobby could crush her look physically, <laughs> literally, but Cordy doesn't care. Cordy does not give a fuck. If she thinks you're screwing up, she's going to tell you, whether it's your fashion sense or your friendships. Yeah. I love that Cordelia is doing this because even then when Buffy says, I think it's time you start minding your own business. And Cordy's like, hey, that's long past. I said what I came to say. And Cordelia, who admitted that she doesn't really like Buffy, yet doing this actually shows that she cares. It is, in Cordelia's Mm -hmm. way, an extension of friendship. I don't even know if Cordelia knows why it matters to her right now, but it's just showing that behind the scenes, something happened from Prophecy Girl from the last episode that gives Cordelia more of a respect for this trio and the fact that she approached them in the hallway, the fact that she cares about what's happening now, that she's watching them at the bronze. I really like this development for Cordelia. And we've always known that she's able to stand up to people and say what she thinks, but I think the fact that she's personally doing it for Buffy's benefit and giving her advice shows that she is willing and open to having stronger ties with this friend group. So Buffy does her best Red Riding Hood impression and puts her hood up and walks off. And Cordelia does her last attempt at getting Buffy to confront her and says, hey, I'll just dance with Angel while you're gone or whatever. And that's when two vampires grab Cordelia and drag her into an alleyway. So Buffy, where are your magic cramps when you need them, right? Because like Cordelia just got kidnapped. And they take Cordelia to the abandoned factory, and she's looking super scared, and she sees that Jenny Calendar is there unconscious. I feel like we need to count the number of times that Cordelia gets kidnapped, because she got kidnapped once in season one, right? Okay, yeah. And then here we are, very first episode of season two, and Cordelia's already getting kidnapped again. (laughs) And I feel like this is going to be a recurring pattern for Cordelia. Yeah, we'll definitely have to track it and be like... All right, so here's number five, number six, like whatever. This is the second one, you're right. Um, (laughs) Buffy is walking through the cemetery and she notices that the master's bones have been dug up. She has a very brief hallucination of the master standing beside her, but then he's gone. So Buffy needs therapy. (laughs) Poor Buffy. Poor Buffy, Um, even though I'm still mad at her. The next day at school, Willow is proposing to Giles that Buffy is possessed and Xander agrees because the alternative is that she's actually attracted to him. (laughs) They're thinking maybe when she killed the master, a mystical bad guy transferred into her. Otherwise, why is she acting like such a (laughs) B-I-T-C-H? Yeah. And um, I like this line from Xander. Xander does have some really good lines in the show and... Giles is like, we're adults, you don't have to spell it out. And (laughs) Xander's like, a bitka? (laughs) And that made me laugh. So Giles gives the explanation that it's possibly Buffy's issues that are the problem. And her experience with the master was very traumatic and she was dead for a few minutes. And she probably hasn't dealt with that on a conscious level. And Mm -hmm. she's convinced herself that she's invulnerable. So Giles knows what's going on with Buffy. He gets it. Yeah. And Buffy is behind him while he's saying this. And she sounds pissed that they're talking about her behind her back. So she just casually drops that the master's grave was dug up and the bones are gone. And I'll also add that she's wearing Angel's necklace from season one. 
So she says that the vampires are going to bring him back to life and she's pissed at Giles for saying that the master was history and he couldn't be resurrected. And Giles seems really surprised that Buffy's blowing up at him like this. And he's like, hey, I never heard of a revivification ritual being successful. And Buffy starts to dig into him and Willow tries to interject and smooth things over. And that's when Buffy snaps at Willow, like straight up just snaps at her and says, this is Slayer stuff. Can we have a little less from the civilians, please? And then Xander chimes in and says, that's enough. And Buffy looks at him super pissed and like, oh shit, the girls are fighting. (laughs) They're fighting. When Xander's the voice of reason, you know that something has gone wrong. (laughs) Oh, and like, okay. You mentioned this in one of our episodes of season one, that sometimes this trio, they fight and -hmm. they have like real arguments. And whenever they do, I get really awkward because (laughs) they fight like they actually Yeah, you don't want to see them fight. But yeah, I think like, yeah, what we're seeing now in season two, since we've seen this show before, this is just bringing up to me all of these memories i have of how much worse it's going to get (laughs) so for those of you who are first time watchers yeah like if you think this is awkward just wait until we hit like season six people yeah like how bad these arguments get but like this is the first taste because we didn't see them fight that much in the last season but yeah they're legit arguing and i don't like it this is when snyder comes in and says some of us have to be in class and some of us have jobs to get to and they all scatter (laughs) and as they leave snyder says he can smell things like a sixth sense and giles is like nope that would be one of the five (laughs) (laughs) i know again this this episode is very witty and uh snyder's like he smells trouble expulsion and jail <laughs> and he's referring to buffy and giles comes to her defense and says hey she's well, no, surprised so, him. so i wrote the lines down he says you really have faith in those kids don't you and giles says yes i do <laughs> and then snyder retorts weird <laughs> and, yeah. and we just again we're getting such a great insight into snyder's character He doesn't care about kids as kids, which, you know, we saw in his introduction in the puppet show. And Giles emphasized that in the previous scene where he's like, are you sure you should be a principal? But, you know, Snyder said in that earlier scene, like somebody has to watch over them to keep them in line. And now we're seeing that in this scene, like Snyder cares about his world being in order. And for some reason, he ended up in this education job where he he can maneuver the pieces on his chessboard that is the school until everything is in perfect order which is what he desires uh and if you break a few eggs in the process by which i mean students whatever well he's also taken a job at the most violent school in america (laughs) so i mean we haven't seen a student die yet in this episode staff so who knows maybe it's (laughs) gonna turn around The episode is young. (laughs) We haven't been to the locker room yet. It's true. We have not had a trip to the locker room yet this season. And Snyder is very clearly going nowhere. And he has eyes on Buffy. Like, he Mm -hmm. is out to get her. In the evening, in the library, Giles is reading a book in Latin. And he has found out that the vampires need the master bones and blood of the closest person connected to him in order to raise him. And Buffy 
thinks that's her because they killed each other and that makes them close. <laughs> Which, yeah, fair point. Sure, yeah. And then a rock flies through the window and Buffy <gasps> catches it, which I think is really cool. <laughs> well, but also like the timing of that is just so perfect, right? Like just as Buffy has finished this conversation, you know, yeah. the rock conveniently arrives. It's like the vampire was waiting for the perfect opportunity. It's like, the, again, the, the yeah, pause. it's like from the first seed, right? It's like, okay. <laughs> Oh, okay, Cameron, just wait, just wait. Okay. Okay, now. Do it now. Um, so the rock has a note and Cordelia's bracelet taped to it. And the note says, come to the bronze before it opens or we make her a meal. Uh, Xander pipes in and says, they're going to cook her dinner. <laughs> Which is stupid, but funny. Uh, so Buffy says she's going to go to the bronze alone and she can't keep looking after the three of them while they're fighting. So she is ready to continue that fight from lunch or the morning or whatever. And she says that, and Willow says, well, what about the rest of the note? And Buffy says, what rest of the note? And Willow says, the part where it says, P.S., this is a trap. <laughs> Which is so good. Again, another great line. <laughs> it's so funny. And Giles agrees, and he's like, "There, you'll be playing right into their hands. Like, it's so clearly a trap. And Buffy says she can handle this. And Willow steps up and says, stop saying that. What's wrong with you? And Xander says, Cordelia may be dead. Buffy says, this is my fight and leaves. Outside the bronze, Angel approaches Buffy and he says he's there to help her and he's going to watch her back. And Buffy says, oh, you mean my neck? And she says she doesn't trust him because he's a vampire. Don't forget he's a vampire. And Angel says that you have to trust someone. You can't do it alone because you're not strong enough. You're, or you're not as strong as you think. Ooh, that was the wrong thing to say, Angel. And that's when Buffy gets really strange and says, oh yeah, you think you can take me? Come on, kick my ass. And I hate this. I hate her delivery of that line. I hate how she just changes her demeanor to say okay. that because it becomes super sexually charged. Mm-hmm. We all know that vampire lore is sexually charged and it's usually surrounding the violence towards women more often than not. And mm -hmm. I get that. That's part of vampire lore. Fine. But the fact that Buffy is like, why don't you kick my ass? It's almost like an invitation when someone's hurting to be like, let's have sex. And then when Angel says, don't you have a friend? <laughs> Isn't your friend dying? Like you're wasting time. He, it's like he's rejecting her. He's like, well, I'm not going to fucking beat you up. That's stupid. And Buffy looks really hurt by that. Like, she, like he rejected that offer. So I think that was like a symbolism for her offering up sex. Okay. Yeah. Yes and no. I, I see where you're coming from there. Um, again, yeah. I'm just going to hold on to my comments until we get through to the end of the episode. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah. So Buffy's like, just stay out of my way. Um, and he's like, happy to oblige. And they go inside. And there's a girl in there who clearly is not Cordelia. Buffy knows this. And the vampire says Cordelia couldn't make it. And Angel's like, hey, I don't get this. Like, there's the bait. Where's the hook? Cut to the library. Giles, Willow, and Xander are making a breakthrough on the case because Giles realizes that his translation was off. And the person who was physically closest to the master, they're the ones that are needed for the ritual. That's when he realizes, like, oh, damn, there is a trap, but it's not for her. It's for us. And the vampires approach the three of them from the stacks. So 
Buffy realizes this and tells Angel to watch the vampire as she goes back to the library. When she gets there, it is a mess. There's tables all over they the place. They just finished fixing the library after that earthquake. <laughs> yeah, it's no good because <laughs> these vamps don't give a shit. There's a broken window, too, from earlier. <laughs> You're right. Snyder's not going to be happy about this. Like, it's day <laughs> one of high school. He's just going to be like, all right, no more library, no more reading. That's it. Uh, like, I cannot put more budget into this library <laughs> rehabilitation. So amazingly, Xander is there and he's not dead. He's alive. He's just beaten up. And Buffy tries to help him. And he like, you know, shrugs her off. And he says the vampires came, the ones that she could handle herself. And he's super bitter. And he's like, I don't know what your problems are. I don't actually care. If you had worked with us for five seconds, you could have stopped this. And I do think this is true. And Buffy needed to hear that. It's true. If she wasn't so difficult, then yeah, possibly like, things would have turned out differently. Z yeah, Xander is... You know, similar to Cordelia, he's fearless in this moment. He's speaking the truth to Buffy. The difference between him and Cordelia is his truth is tinged with meanness. Yeah. And also, I really hate what he says next, which is, if they hurt Willow, I'll kill you. I know. it. That line also didn't sit well with me because it felt really out of character. I don't think that Xander or the show has earned that level of intensity yet. I think we'll get there eventually, but it was just like, where is this coming from, Xander? Once again, it's Xander trying to sound big and brave and masculine in front of Buffy, who we all know could literally murder him with like the flick of her hand if she wanted to. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's using that bravado in a way to make himself feel better about yeah. the situation. It's interesting that Joss Whedon, who wrote and directed this episode, chose to handle the scene in this way and it goes back to what i was saying about the opening scene where they are acting very much like teenagers here because i feel like another option we didn't had for writing this scene is he could have had xander be like i'm pissed off now they took giles and willow i really care for them maybe have him admitting a little bit of his you know the feelings that willow has for him and stuff and acknowledging that and then he could say something like Come on, Buffy, like, we've had our differences recently, but let's work together and get, you know, get our friends back. Like, there, there was an opportunity here to have a more positive spin, which I think that maybe uh, more recent shows might have gone down that route. Because a lot of shows these days really like to show the main cast having their differences and then coming back together, like, sort of more quickly. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if it's the era that the show was in or just Joss Whedon's idea that all these characters must suffer, including Cordelia, who suffers the most. Um, but, yeah. you know, he, he takes the darkest route in this response from Xander. Yeah, and it's also the fact that he's blaming us all on Buffy. But the thing is, Xander, you also didn't know that the trap was for you. Mm -hmm. And neither did Giles, and neither did Willow. So Buffy caught on exactly the same time you caught on. So it's not actually her fault that this is happening and that you want to put all your blame onto her because she didn't work with you, but yeah. the outcome was the same. So you can't just blame Buffy and you certainly can't just kill her <laughs> if something happens no. to Willow because it's not her fault. So back at the bronze, Buffy tortures the female vamp to tell her where the others are. Xander tagged along because obviously he wants to help. 
And they go to the factory, and that's where the cult of Colin is about to get started on the ritual. And the four unconscious people, Giles, Willow, Cordelia, and Jenny, are hanging over top of the master's bones, kind of like pigs in a slaughterhouse. The ritual begins as Buffy, Angel, and Xander arrive, and Buffy says, you two get the others out of here, I'm going to distract them. Angel says, how? And she says, I'm going to kill them all. That ought to distract them. (laughs) Fair. Which I love. Uh, They're all doing a prayer. And that's when Buffy stakes one of the vampires who dusts. And the fight begins. And Colin is shuffled into a back room, like out of the way safely. Xander and Angel climb up this ladder to the top area to start reeling the others into safety. And Buffy has gotten way more acrobatic over the summer. And shes it's a pretty good fight scene, actually. She takes on mm-hmm. about, like, six on her own. Uh, lots of cool moves, lots of jumping and leaping. Some of it made it into the opening credits. Uh, <laughs> the humans are starting to wake up, and Giles says, where's Buffy? And Xander's watching her fight and says she's working out her issues. And Colin's main man is holding this huge mallet and he threatens to grind Buffy into a sticky paste and hear her beg for her life. Which is just so extra. (laughs) Well, these, like you said, these vampires need to tell you what's going on before they do it. (laughs) They cannot help themselves. And Buffy says, are you going to kill me or are you just going to make small talk? So as he's running toward her with the mallet and a vampire behind her is running at her, she basically just takes this pole, breaks it off the ground. I don't really know what it is. Swings it around and she manages to stake the one vampire with one end and then light the other one on fire with the other end and takes them out really easily. So quick question. Is this the first time we've seen a vampire get immolated? Because we know that vampires can be killed with fire. But I don't think we've seen, like, that's a pretty cool animation. You know, he literally goes up in flames. Is that the first time we've seen that? The first time we've seen it, but there was a vampire that died in the crematorium in episode five. Right. But that was kind of like, we didn't see him. Yeah, we didn't see him. Yeah, yeah. So this is the first one. Yeah, very cool. (laughs) Love watching vampires get burned alive. Awesome. Or burned dead (laughs) because not alive. Um, (laughs) Buffy picks up the mallet, which is now on the floor. Uh, she's looking super traumatized as she stares at the master's bones, which are now just alone and sitting on the table. Willow has woken up and she says, it's over. And Xander says, no, it's not. As he's looking at Buffy and it's it's like Xander picked up allegory over the summer. Like he knows what <laughs> this is about. And Buffy stares at the master's bones. And then she has a literal emotional breakdown and starts crushing them into powder. She's starts off slow and then she goes faster and faster and she's crying mm-hmm. and everyone's watching her like this cathartic moment. They're all just watching mm-hmm. her basically get her issues out, like deal with her emotions. And Angel comes up behind her and offers her emotional support and she falls into him and cries on his shoulder. And this is... I think one of the first times that we actually see the mental and the emotional toll that slaying has on Buffy. Mm -hmm. And she's been dealing with it the whole episode, but this is it. Like, this is where she lets it out. Okay. I don't think she's been dealing with it, but carry on. You can read it on her face the entire episode. Mm -hmm. She wanted to express this. She wanted to, Mm -hmm. like, let out this wail of misery that was inside her over what happened to her. But Mm -hmm. she was blocked and she couldn't talk to her mother. She couldn't 
tell Angel I miss you. She couldn't do anything because she was just mm -hmm. welled up with all this trauma and all this emotion. Yes. So this is her getting it out. And I want to add here, okay, another reason why season two is so special to me and why it steps it up from season one is the score. And right in this scene, we hear a musical piano score and it's beautiful. And this is the kind of score that we're going to be hearing more and more throughout the season. And I love mm -hmm. it. It's perfect for the theme that Buffy brings out, this emotional, haunted idea. And fun fact, Kara, the chairman of my company, Akon, which is a Canadian construction company, his name is John Beck. And his son, Christoph Beck, is a famous composer. And he did the music for Frozen. And music for WandaVision and all these Disney mm -hmm. stuff. So yeah, I, I, I'm aware who who Christoph Beck is because I know him from Buffy, right? I'm like, oh, the, anytime I see that name come up, I'm like, he did the scoring for Buffy. But this is the thing. I didn't know he did the scoring for Buffy, too. I knew he did the scoring <laughs> for Disney because of my Disney podcast yeah. and because he's my chairman's son. But now I learned today that he <laughs> did this music for Buffy. It's a small world. It's a small world. It's all coming together. You got another pin to add to your board with red string connecting everything. <laughs> My conspiracy theory. And like, I'm just one degree separation from this guy. So like, <laughs> I'm going to find him. I'm going to find him and tell him thank you. Because the score in season two, I've been listening to, like I had it on CDs that I would drive around when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Like, I yeah. just love it, especially a theme song that'll come up later in the season. Oh, I totally know what you're talking about, and I agree 100%. Oh, of course you do. It's beautiful. Anyway, the point is, this is the first little taste of it that we're getting, and it's mwah. Chef's kiss. So, the next day at school, Cordelia... <laughs> my love for Cordelia has no bounds. Cordelia is saying that it was an ordeal, and you know what the worst part is? It stays with you forever. None of that rust and blood and grime comes out. You can dry clean till judgment day. You are living with those stains. I mean, she has a point. They must ruin a lot of clothes fighting demons. <laughs> they must, but it's, <laughs> it's so funny. And she's talking, she's telling this to Jenny and Jenny's like, oh yeah, that is for sure the worst thing that happens when you are hung upside down like by vampires. Total, yeah, total deadpan sarcasm. And yeah. it just goes whoosh over Cordelia's head. <laughs> she's like, the stains are the worst part of that. And Cordelia <laughs> I was like, I hear ya. <laughs> so good. And um, did no one care that Cordelia was missing for an entire day? Like from the night before? Like her parents didn't think to raise the alarm? Anyway. Anyway. Giles and Buffy are also walking on this beautiful day in the quad. And Buffy is scared to face Willow and Xander because she knows she acted like a jerk. And perhaps that's why she's also dressed like a country club Karen. Because she's got that green sweater <laughs> off the yeah. shoulder like tennis look and um giles says it's pointless to punish herself and he admits that she did act wrongly but it's hardly the worst mistake she'll ever make and he's trying to comfort her and she gives him points for effort and as she enters a classroom willow and xander have saved her a seat and she's really standoffish at first because she just doesn't know. Like, she feels ashamed and she doesn't know what to say. And they're kind of like, bronze tonight? Because, you know, it's Wednesday. And um, Willow says Wednesday, the bronze is kind of beat. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, Monday's where it's at at the bronze. <laughs> so I think it's hilarious, Steph, that you just spent several minutes praising the score of this episode. Because what I have down here in my notes about this scene is, oh, God. 
this scene was fine until the music started playing. You've ruined the mood with this music. This show is still so 90s. Yeah, this is weird. This 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 choice of music. They also played like a weird like Alison Krauss song earlier in Buffy's room with Angel too. Like they're playing around with music a lot this episode, but well, I don't think this is score music. This sounds like No, this... but that's what I mean, right? Is like yeah. I'm not blaming your fr- your buddy Christoph for this music. I just think <laughs> it's funny that you're you spend so much time praising season two's music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. we still have <laughs> moments like this where I think the show is trying to cast off its teenage TV show vibe, but it yeah. hasn't quite succeeded yet. Yeah, I didn't even think twice about the music in this scene, but I did say that this scene, like the pan around of them talking, took way too long. <laughs> like, why? Again, yeah, it's like they're really trying to convince us that everything is fine. A- and I have comments about that. I know I keep teasing it. It's just we got to wait until we're done. And then I have comments. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay, so I do want to say that Xander actually made me laugh with what he says, because they're like, what should we do tonight? And Xander says, Mm -hmm. well, we could grind our enemies into talcum powder with a sledgehammer, but gosh, we did that last night. And I think that's a good way to break the ice. Yeah. And I'll give that to Xander, because I do think he has good lines on the show. And um, yeah, they just start bantering away and all is well. And these friends accept each other's flaws. Or do they? Or do they? But, you know, the music would say, yes, they do. Like, they do. I don't believe it. The music is lying to us. Yeah, the music would never lie to us. So... Then the last scene is poor Colin all by himself in the factory, looking at the crushed up master's bones and his whole cult is gone. And he just says, I hate that girl. And then it ends. It's really upsetting when your developers let you down and you can't launch your new iPhone on time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, but the bones are still there, Colin. Like, why can't you yeah, just Yeah, they didn't do a great up? job destroying that skeleton. There's like, like fully intact pieces there. Buffy and the gang, why is it so hard for you to get rid of these bones? <laughs> Put them in a garbage bag and chuck them in the ocean. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. Okay. Get rid of them. So okay. um, who's your hero of this episode? Cordelia. I love that Cordelia said her piece that she is trying to slowly but surely integrate herself into this group but i i really loved her speech like the get over it speech i think buffy actually needed to hear that even though she didn't really take it in then someone needed to say it and cordelia i agree that's Mm -hmm. a great choice Uh, i was tempted to pick cordelia too i ended up going with buffy's parents oh buffy's mom and hank (laughs) yes um because i think like you commented earlier in the episode the scene between them, even though they're not in the whole episode, the scene between them really shows that both of them care for Buffy and they they want to do right by her, even though they have split up. And, you know, Hank did his best, even <laughs> though he overcompensated with the shoes. And Buffy's mom, as we saw in the, the drive to school that day, she's trying. She's trying so hard. And... Like, as, as much as we might be a bit snarky about Buffy's parents and sometimes they're not cool or whatever, like, it's great that she has these two loving people on her side. Because how much worse would she be if she didn't have those loving parent figures? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. that's a, a choice I was not expecting. But in the end, it's the perfect choice. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Steph. So what do we think about this episode? I think we both agree that it's a good 
opening episode for season two. But yes. I also think that this episode has flaws, right? I think it's a good change of pace for how we're going to progress from season one to season two. Like, that's what got me excited when I was watching it. I was like, this is already so different and I know what's coming. So it, it put me in a good mood. However, there are some problematic elements to mm -hmm. it, for sure. A lot of your basic anti-feminist tropes all in one episode, right? We got Buffy mm -hmm. being a bitka i.e. a bitch <laughs> um she's being the bitch the tease the sexually aggressive bad girl yeah uh, she's an emotional wreck who has to end up crying on a man's shoulder she's the girl between the two guys like there's a lot of stuff going on here that i didn't really like yeah and i so, felt bad for willow i think willow got the shaft in this episode i agree again i really hope we get a willow centric episode sooner rather than later i hope so, so um soon. Yeah, so just to piggyback off what you're saying here, I've been hinting for the whole episode now, I want to talk about Buffy's behavior. And I wanted to wait until the end because I think that last scene between uh, her and Willow and Xander is so important to have that awareness before we comment on what she's doing here. So I, I said earlier, I think Buffy might be suffering from PTSD. And again, I'm not an expert, so I can't really make that diagnosis. But she clearly has unprocessed trauma, like Giles got at during the episode. I think what we're seeing here is Buffy has accepted her role as the Slayer physically. She is the Slayer. She deals with all of those vampires in the factory very easily, right? And she has a lot of confidence in her abilities, which was something that she acquired over season one. And when she came back to life, right? And we had this discussion about how psychologically she seemed more certain of herself as the Slayer, that has stayed with her. So she is physically and psychologically the Slayer now, and that gives her power. It's not just the trauma of dying. Obviously, that's a big part of it. I think what we're seeing here is Buffy is starting to realize that this is her life forever. And like, honestly, like dying didn't even let her escape it. Because even though she freaked out in Prophecy Girl, when she heard she was going to die. I think there was a sense of relief there, right? Because she's like, okay, I'm doing my part. I'm going to sacrifice myself. My friends are going to be fine. The end. And then she didn't. She died, but she came back and she, she vanquished the master. And now she's back here in Sunnydale and she's hearing they're going to try to bring the master back. They're still vampires. And, and she's realizing this is my life forever. It wasn't just I deal with the master and then I'm out. It's, Every single fucking year, there's going to be a new bad guy to face, and it's never going to stop until she dies. And, and so that is what she's dealing with here. It's not just the trauma of having died and come back and had to fight the master. It's the trauma of anticipating everything else that she's going to go through. And so she's pushing away all these people who care for her. And she's isolating herself and she's behaving exactly like you said, aggressively, you know, she's exploring that sexual component, acting out because she is afraid to form or reform these connections to her friends because she thinks that she's going to get them killed before she gets killed. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on here with Buffy's behavior 
And that final scene where it's like, oh, everything's fine and they've patched it all up, that scene is a lie. Buffy has not dealt with her trauma yet. Like you said, she needs therapy. <laughs> they, they've put a Band-Aid over it. And I think that a lot of this season is going to be that Band-Aid getting ripped off. Mm-hmm. And Buffy does need to process this trauma, but it hasn't happened yet. But I think it's also that, like, from the surface level of what I was looking at, it's like, yeah, like, she's obviously dealing with the trauma of having died and come back and what that means. But I like that you are making it even more than that, where it's like, it's not just the death of it all. It's the life. It's the fact that she is the slayer and that comes with this toll, this literal life and death situation every day of her life. And just because the master's gone, she's stepping up her acrobatics and her training montage because she's like, whatever they're sending next, because there will be a next, I'm going to be ready for it. And they're not going to get me like they did last time. No slayer ever retires. So she knows that it doesn't matter what she does with her life now. Her life doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because it's forfeit already. And she might survive another year. She might survive another 10 years. But eventually something's going to get her. Yeah. I don't... I just... My sympathy for Willow in this episode is so strong. Because Mm -hmm. I think not only did Xander manipulate her and tease her at the beginning of the episode. Then Buffy comes back. And Buffy's her only female friend. And she's a huge bitch. And then... She does that thing at the bronze where she basically is like, I know you like Xander, but I can have him. I agree. And that's why I think that they haven't really worked through their issues yet, right? They papered it over, but they got to have some conversations this season. For sure. And I love what you said earlier where it's like, it's very clear that they destroyed the master. They destroyed the library. They went and partied that night. Then literally the next day, Buffy's like, bye, I'm off to LA. And that was, you guys take care of the bones. (laughs) And that was it. Uh, Okay. So... As we said in our Nightmares episode in season one, I put up a poll on Instagram um, asking our followers to pick what we're going to call our listener corner. And no surprise here, (laughs) surprising literally no one, Hot Stakes has won the poll. So our new listener segment is Hot Stakes, and we have something to talk about today, right? We have someone right in. We do. Speaking of sympathy for characters, you had sympathy for Willow. Uh, we had listener Sarah write in with some sympathy for Xander. In our <laughs> yeah. season one review, we did address our frequent Xander slander and, and how that's gone down on TikTok and stuff. And we also said, like, anybody who wants to write in in defense of Xander, we're happy to hear it. Like, if you've got thoughts <laughs> about positive aspects of Xander, bring them forward. So Sarah did that. So uh, I've picked out three parts of her email here uh, just to discuss about Xander and his characterization. So the first thing Sarah commented on was the trend at the time for predatory men in TV. And so Sarah Sarah watched Buffy uh, contemporarily. So Sarah grew up with Buffy. Uh, And she says, back when Buffy premiered in 1997, Interview with A Vampire was released and Friends premiered in 1994, both exceedingly popular and were promoting predatory behavior in men towards women. It was a typical trope, unfortunately, for the male character. The nice guy character was used because Friendzone had yet to be coined. Shows from this time frame really have aged badly in our more progressive time, but still, they were typical for the time. 
males were mostly cut and paste, especially teenage boys. And Sarah goes on to comment uh, when it comes to the TikTok stuff and say, uh, I must wonder how people who criticize Xander felt about the main character in shows like How I Met Your Mother and Ross from Friends. Both characters were very narcissistic and manipulative with the women they pursued, but somehow are seen as romantic. I do not like those characters or shows, but they do, however, provide an example to show what problematic behavior is no longer acceptable or should not be tolerated. So I just thought it was interesting how, you know, Sarah's giving us this perspective as somebody who grew up watching Buffy and therefore is more aware of the context of television in that era than maybe you or I might be because we're slightly younger than that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think those are good points, right? Like, again, we both acknowledge that we're not going to make excuses for this show because of its time. It is a product of its time, but that's not an excuse. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting to have those comments about, you know, Xander's not unique in this way. No, plenty of male characters like Sarah saying, there's no doubt in my mind that the people who criticize Xander would also be criticizing Ross and Ted from those shows, you know, mm -hmm. um, because none of them have aged very well. And for me, particularly, like, I love Ross Geller, but awful, like just did awful Isn't it interesting stuff. how Allison Hannigan is in both Buffy and How I Met Your Mother? Yeah, maybe it's her. <laughs> She's like the hell mouth of TV and she just has these this energy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, no, totally. And like we said, we're so welcoming to these other viewpoints and why yep. Xander, you know, he, we're, he's not a monster. He's just season one was rough. It was just it was. really rough. Uh, and so was this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there to a positive Xander episode. Okay, so. Uh, Sarah also said on the subject of Xander and trauma, uh, Xander's antagonism also stems from trauma. His best friend Jesse was turned into a vampire and Xander killed this vampire. Uh, and that was his lifetime friend up to that point. So someone he grew up with alongside Willow and people dismissed Jesse's death because he was problematic towards Cordelia and stuff, but he was still one of Xander's closest friends. Um, afterwards, the death is just glossed over. Steph, you and I have mentioned this before, <laughs> right? Like, Jesse, we just forgot about Jesse. Nobody talks about him after this. Well, I also laugh just now because remember, like, when Jesse died, it's because someone pushed him into yeah. Xander's stake. And that was pretty funny. Um, that is an excellent point and a look at Xander's progression that we haven't really talked about is the fact that, like, we make a lot of fun that Xander only had two friends and one of them is dead now, but we actually aren't talking about how that has yeah. affected Xander. But that is not actually, like, think about it. The show actually hasn't addressed that. Like, that's they true. also brushed it off as if that's not a big deal, but it's the fans that remember that and carry that with Xander, knowing mm -hmm. that that would have been a big deal. So it is the show's fault for not allowing Xander to process that at all. Yeah, the show lets us down in that way. Yeah. Um, the final thing from Sarah I want to share is this connection between Xander and Willow and being neurodivergent. Uh, and for those of our listeners who aren't sure what that means, the words neurotypical and neurodivergent are often used to describe uh, differences in brain chemistry and different types of disorders and disabilities that manifest in people in terms of how our brains work. So for example, somebody who's on the autism spectrum, we would we could also label as being neurodivergent because um, autistic people's brains work differently from neurotypical people's brains. Mm 
So Sarah says, Xander and Willow were also presented as neurodivergent characters, making them even more accessible to me. Willow herself most likely is on the autism spectrum, with at least a small level of obsessive-compulsive disorder. I myself have similar afflictions. Xander was presented in such a way that he would easily be diagnosed with ADHD today. Uh, and then Sarah goes on to say that she, she credits the portrayal of Xander here for having a really crucial and very positive effect on her mental health because she was able to see herself in Xander, uh, and that gave her a lot of comfort and helped her through some very difficult times. And mm. I really like this point, and I'm really happy, Sarah, that you brought this up because, uh, you know... <laughs> I, I'm hesitant to claim the label of neurodivergent myself, although I've, I've had some conversations with professionals about that. But, you know, it's not something I'm really com confident talking about. So I appreciate somebody uh, who does claim that label fully bringing this forward and bringing this up because, yeah, like neurodivergent characters, there's not a lot of good representation on TV. And what representation is there is usually like Sarah's doing here the fans reading into it, right? It's never like mm -hmm. explicit, uh, especially mm -hmm. in this era. So I think this is a really good interpretation of Xander's character. And, you know, some of the ways that he behaves, it's because he has trouble reading people's behaviors or in the case of ADHD, right? He either has trouble focusing, which I think we see that in some of these episodes, the way that he his brain <laughs> is sometimes in overdrive, <laughs> uh, and sometimes he gets hyper-focused on things. And, and yeah. we see that also in the way that he thinks about Buffy. This is episode 13 of the show, if you think about mm -hmm. it. So I'm hoping that now that Sarah's brought up these very interesting dynamics about Xander's character, perhaps we can think about this as we continue on watching season two and, and so on. Will we start recognizing this stuff in him? And then maybe we will have more sympathy for the stuff that he's doing. Yeah. Again, like I'm always nervous. I don't like to make like labels and diagnoses about characters necessarily because that can always be a little bit dicey. But mm -hmm. I, I do think it is valid for people who claim labels to claim characters and have that in their headcanon, right? So if, you know, if you're on the autism spectrum and you're saying, I think Willow's on the autism spectrum, I think that's great because that can be very powerful. And the representation is important, yeah. right? Well, like I said, unfortunately, that representation is not present in TV. Uh, it's yeah. getting a little bit better these days. Not great. Um, so yeah, yeah you got you to gotta find it where you can, right? So yeah. uh, thank you for your comments, Sarah. And we would welcome more listeners writing in to us, sharing their thoughts about these episodes uh, so we can have future hot stakes. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.